Welcome to Jury Duty, I'm your host, Chris Terracon. Season 8 of Jury Duty explores the trial of Alex Murdoch, a member of one of the most powerful families in South Carolina, who is accused of murdering his son Paul and his wife Maggie, with the purpose of covering up a myriad of alleged crimes including fraud and homicide. In our last episode, we concluded our review of the cross-examination of Rogan Gibson, a close friend of the Murdochs who was texting with Paul just before the murders. In this installment, we begin our look at the testimony of Will Loving, another close friend of Paul Murdoch. We also present a hearing which takes place outside the presence of the jury that was called to determine whether or not the details of Alex Murdoch's alleged financial crimes will be admissible in this trial. That's all coming up right after the break. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It is late afternoon on February 1st, 2023, day six of the trial of Alex Murdoch. In our last episode, we concluded our review of the testimony of Rogan Gibson, a friend of Paul Murdoch's who was close to the entire Murdoch family. After Mr. Gibson left the stand, Judge Clifton Newman called for a 10-minute recess. We begin today with a discussion outside the presence of the jury that occurs just after Judge Newman reconvenes the parties but before the jury returns to the courtroom. In the sidebar hearing, Creighton Waters and Dick Harpudlian debate the admissibility of financial information that might offer evidence of Alex Murdoch's motives for killing his wife and son. The discussion begins as Judge Newman gavels the court back into session. Prosecutor Creighton Waters steps up to the lectern, addresses Judge Newman, and posits that when the defense questioned Rogan Gibson about the relationship between the defendant, Alex Murdoch, and his son Paul, and specifically the love that the witness observed between father and son, they open the door to the prosecution rebutting that testimony with their own evidence that Alex Murdoch's financial crimes gave him a motive to kill his son. Your Honor, one uh, matter I'd like to uh, address with the court during uh, and throughout the, the questioning that the defense has been doing, and including uh, one question that was asked here today about any reason why you know Alec may kill anyone. Uh, you know, one of the issues that's still outstanding is issues of the financial motives that are uh, that exist, and uh, you know, obviously the state has already made a case as to the admissibility of, of that information. But I believe clearly to add to that, uh, the defense through their questioning has opened the door. Uh, to that. And so uh, this uh, witness, uh, you know, has some information to start that. And I think uh, that we've uh, we've sort of gone through through the looking glass on that very issue. Defense attorney Dick Harpudlian responds for the defense. Your Honor, very briefly, we fully brief this. There are a very limited number of circumstances where the financial information would come in. Simply asking this young man who they asked uh, about his relationship with Alec and Paul and everybody, could you conceive of, I think we said, are there, there any circumstance under which you know, you know that he might uh, kill Paul and Maggie? And he said, no, that didn't open the door to any 
financial crime that he may have committed. And again, the admissibility of that financial information, those financial misdeeds, uh, is not, I mean, this, this motive, by the way, is the most ludicrous. He's about to be discovered as having stolen some money that afternoon. He, 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 so he goes home and butchers his wife and son to destroy. You argued that before. But, but what I'm saying is, this idea. You argued it before, and you've called it ludicrous before. Uh, you're now repeating that same argument. It's been a while, perhaps, that I've said that. My, my point is, no door has been opened, and if we're going to have a full discussion on this, you indicated you needed factual basis. There has been no factual basis established. Thank you. At the invitation of Judge Newman, Prosecutor Waters offers the factual basis for his motion. Yes, sir. Uh, Your Honor, again, uh, and we have argued this, and I'm not going to repeat the various arguments that I've made. I think uh, that we have, I do just to sort of summarize a little bit, we do have a specific confrontation that day. We also have the pendency of that hearing. Uh, and for the jury to understand that, we have to, uh, to understand the extent of what is about to be exposed and what that actually means for him, the prospect of losing everything in life without parole. Uh, Will Loving, he is a, uh, one of the Paul's friends. He's mostly here to talk about firearms and, and uh, the shell casings and things like that. Uh, but he also uh, will talk about the, uh, uh, a little bit about the boat case, uh, about the pressures on the family, about selling uh, the house in Hampton, uh, and and the fact that uh, you know that there were uh, financial pressures because of that boat case uh, that um, that they were having to deal with, and you know I made it clear to the defense as well as to your honor that before we went into subject matter like that, uh, that we would um, you know that we would of course certainly alert the court. Uh, for this particular witness, that would be uh, the questioning that I that I intend to to ask that witness. Yeah, I mean this witness, he's my witness. Any information he has about financial pressure or, or the reasons they sold the house would be solely based upon hearsay, and it certainly didn't come from any conversations with the defendant. He has no independent knowledge of any of that. So aside from the, the overall 404B evidentiary rule, I mean, there's no basis of this. This witness doesn't have any actual knowledge of that. Right. We'll proceed with the testimony. I'll rule based on any objections I hear. Thank you. Bring the jury. With Judge Newman suspending the debate about the admissibility of evidence related to Alex Murdoch's possible motives until the prosecution moves to introduce such evidence, the jury returns to the courtroom, and the judge invites the prosecution to proceed. Thank you. You may call your next witness. Prosecutor Waters again rises for the state. Thank you, Your Honor. The state calls Will Loving. Loving is 26 years old. He sports a beard, mustache, and short curly brown hair. He wears a navy blue blazer and a button-down dress shirt. Prosecutor Waters begins by asking Loving to offer the jury some biographical information about himself. Loving, how you doing today? I'm good. All right. Tell the jury just a little bit about yourself. Where'd you uh, grow up? Uh, where'd you go to high school, college, uh, what you do for a living? Um, I grew up in Columbia, South Carolina. I went to high school at AC Flora. I graduated from Ori Georgetown Tech with a four-year degree. Uh, pursued that for a few years. Uh, now I'm working down in Charleston for a marine construction company. That's about what I'm doing now. What year did you graduate from high school? Graduated high school in 2015, and I graduated from Ori Georgetown in 2020. Where are you living these days? Just uh, living in Charleston. Did you ever, over the course of your life, get to know Paul Murdoch? Uh, yes, I did. And tell me, when was that, roughly? Um, I met Paul when I was probably 15 years old um, down at Edisto. 
he was probably 13, and our, you know our friendship just met on the beach one day. That's about where I met um, Paul, but. We did pretty much everything together down at the beach whenever I was there and he was there. You know, we'd go hang out on the beach, we'd go on the boat, go fish, or, you know, just hang out. And uh, when you met him at Edisto, do you know where Paul was staying? Uh, yes, Paul was staying at his beach house at Edisto. Over the years, as y'all's friendship developed, did y'all start to hang out more and more outside of Edisto? Uh, yes, sir, we did. And how old were you when that started to develop more hanging out than just Edisto? You know, probably once Paul was later on in high school, so I would have been, you know, 18, 19 years old. We started getting closer, and then, you know, when I was probably 21 and Paul was 19, we got pretty close. How old are you now? I'm 26. Waters then digs a bit deeper into the nature of the witness's relationship with Paul Murdoch. What are some of the things as y'all got pretty close? What would y'all do together aside from hang out at Edisto? Um, we would hunt and fish, uh, go out, hang out with friends. Um, we went down to the property at Moselle a lot. We'd go to Edisto a lot, just kind of going wherever, going with the flow. We'd go down for a weekend in Charleston before either one of us, you know, before I was living there. You know, we lived together in Columbia uh, for a short period of time, uh, right before everything happened. Now you said y'all y'all lived together. So y'all roommates uh, there for a while before uh, before the murders happened. Yes, sir. Was it just the two of you in the house, or were others living there as well? Um, it was just the two of us, and I was kind of just a uh, couch guest, but it kind of turned into a long-term thing. Gotcha. Were y'all planning on getting an additional place uh, around the time that the murders happened? Uh, yes, we had uh, already been in contact with a house, um, about to sign a contract on a house, me, him, and another uh, friend from Columbia. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Prosecutor Waters next asked Will Loving about his familiarity with the Murdoch property where the murders occurred. You mentioned uh, that uh, you would go to Moselle a lot, and uh, what would y'all do at Moselle? I mean, we'd do just about anything, depending on what we were there for. If it was during a certain hunting season, uh, we'd go hunting, or you know, we might just be there hanging out for the weekend and might be there working. We did a lot of different things while we were there. What kind of hunting would y'all do? Um, we deer hunted, we hog hunted, we duck hunted, we dove hunted, we turkey hunted, pretty much about everything. Tell me about the hawk hunting. How does that work? Um, we did it for uh, a certain period of time with some dogs, and that was, uh, you know, you got a pack of dogs that chase them down, and you go up and neutralize them. Then we did it, we also did it at night with a, a thermal scope, um, and, you know, it's based off heat vision, I mean, heat signals, so uh, you can see them at night. And you had to use the thermal if you were going to do that. And when y'all would hunt at night uh, on the Moselle property, how would y'all physically do it? Would you walk around? Would you ride around on the four-wheeler? How would that work? Uh, most of the time we took a vehicle, whether it be one of the you know, farm trucks or you know, bu uh, some sort of buggy. The prosecutor then pivots to asking the witness about the specifications of the weapons that he and Paul Murdoch used to hunt. You mentioned the thermal scope. What, um, what was that thermal scope on? What kind of weapon? Um, it was on a 300 blackout. And what color was that 300 blackout? It was black. How many uh, 300 blackouts did the family have? Um, they had two. 
Were those the only two you're aware of, or was there a third one? Uh, those were the only two I was aware of. I'd heard something about the third after the fact, but the only two I was aware of was those two. And what did you heard about the third? I just heard it got stolen out of Paul's truck at a party. Was that years ago? Years ago, yes, sir. So there was a replacement gun, a third one. Is that correct? Correct. What uh, What was that gun like? It was about the same as the black one, except for the color of it. It was tan. Um, it didn't have uh, any kind of sight on it, you know, the first few times I saw it. But other than that, it was about the same thing, just a different color. It was a tanner color. And where would that gun typically be located? I never really saw it move from the gun cabinet room. Um, most of the time it was in the main house at Moselle in the gun cabinet room. You mentioned that uh, that particular gun didn't have a sight on it uh, or, or an optic on it. Is that correct? That's correct. All right. And what does that mean? What's the difference between having a scope or a sight and not having? What, what, how do you shoot it if it doesn't have one of those? Um, so you have, this, you have something called iron sights, which is just they're, it's already attached to the end of the barrel. It just has a little thing that you can see down, but nothing to zoom in your image. Um, it didn't have a sight on it at all. The, th you know, the other one had the thermal sight that you used at night, and this one had no sight on it at all. Uh, at some point, did, uh, did y'all go get some sort of uh, optic or some sort of sight for it, other than the iron sights? We went and bought a, um, it's called a red dot sight. It's just got a little, it's not very big. It's about maybe two or three inches, and it just has a little tube, a little red dot in the center of it. Um, it doesn't zoom in either, but it gives you a little bit better of a, you know, look at what you're shooting at a little bit better than an iron sight. Is it like a thermal sight in that you can uh, see what you're aiming at at night? No, sir. So what do you see when you look through the red dot? You can just see whatever's out in front of you from the naked eye. And then how's the thermal work? Um, the thermal works at nighttime. You can you look and see uh, heat glows up in a different color than black. Uh, it glows up in white, so you can see it very easily. When uh, did you and Paul go by that red dot sight for that other blackout gun? Um, it was either in uh, late March or early April. I'm not exactly positive on the date, um, but we bought it from the Ace Hardware in Hamden. And what, when you say early March or late April, what year are we talking about? 2021. You went with Paul to get that? Yes, sir. And what did y'all do after you got the sight? Um, we went back to Moselle, and we put the sight onto the rifle and sighted it in. Describe to the jury what you mean when you say you sighted it in. Um, when you get a scope that's not already sighted in, you have to calibrate it with the barrel of the gun. Um, so you have to go and change certain things on the side or on the top, you know, whether it needs to go up or down or left or right when you're shooting. So that's, that's what we had to do with that one, and it just moves. It doesn't move the dot necessarily inside the scope. It just moves kind of the whole, the whole thing. Creighton Waters approaches the witness with a large aerial photo of the Moselle property. Will Loving stands and examines the photo alongside the prosecutor. I want to ask about a few uh, areas on the property. All right, now, after y'all bought that, uh, well, first of all, where is the residence on this particular image? Do you recognize this? Yes. It's right here. Okay. And uh, what are these structures up here right there? Uh, this is what we call a shed or the doll kennels or airplane hanging. And uh, can you point out the kennels in that image? And where are the uh, the driveway entrances to the property? So you have this picture right here down to the, come down to the main house right here, mm -hmm. where you can come in up here and come by the kennels and come down and come down to the main house. Uh, was it common for uh, everyone to use both of those driveways? Yes, sir. Uh, which driveway did you use? Did you usually use? I didn't pass one driveway to get to another. Whichever way I, if I was coming from this way, I'd turn here. If I was coming from this way, I'd turn in there. And your experience in knowing family wasn't common for both to be used? Yes, sir. What is this structure right here? 
Um, that is the cabin up on the side of the road, just the old cabin. And was there, uh, there like a shooting range or a shooting house in there? Uh, yeah, there's a shooting range across the road right here. Mm -hmm. um, it goes, it's like right near somewhere and it goes right next to the pond area. That's just a little fish pond. And what, uh, what was the shooting house? Uh, it was just a little uh, wooden, you know, gazebo looking thing that you sat in and shot at a berm over here. Was there a location that y'all know the property called the Dovefield? Yes, sir. And where was that? Um, it's right here behind this berm of pine trees. Uh, now, you said back after y'all bought that red knight site that y'all sighted in that the blackout. Is that correct? Correct. Right. Which blackout are you talking about? The tan one. The tan one? The tan one. And that would have been not the black one, but the tan one, not the one that was missing years ago. Is that correct? Yes, sir. That's correct. All right. Where did y'all sight that gun in? We sighted it in off the side of the main house. Right here, there's a little thing of steps that comes into the gun room, and uh, we used the uh, railing and the stairs, the brace on, and shot down into here as they were making a, they were building a pod right here, so there was a burn, so there was no, no, no threat of the bullets going back there. When did y'all sight that gun in? We sighted that gun in at the very beginning of April, or one of the last couple of days of March in, of 2021. How do you know that it was late March or into April 2021? that you cited in that tan blackout with the red dot optic on it. That same weekend we were out hunting hogs in the dove field with the thermal scope on the black 300 blackout and we also took the brown 300, the tan 300 blackout, excuse me, with us with the red dot sight but it wasn't very uh, usable because you couldn't see what you were shooting at as it was dark. Um, but we used the thermal and I remember we saw a uh, four turkeys up in a tree, and we were talking about maybe turkey hunting that morning right there, but I think we scared them when we decided to shoot the hog. So y'all decided to sight in the Tamlin the next day, or thereabouts? Yeah, it was sighted in the day before, I believe, or the same day, one of the two. And y'all were standing right outside the gun room in the main residence? Correct, yes sir. Prosecutor Waters next shows loving an unloaded 300 blackout rifle. You recognize this gun? Yes sir, that's the black 300 blackout. All right, and what optic is on this? The thermal scope. Is this the gun y'all were sighting in, or was it a different gun that y'all were sighting in standing right outside the gun room in March or April of 2021? It was a different gun. It was a different gun? Yes, sir. Did it have a different optic on it right here? Yes, sir. It had the red dot sight on it. It had the red dot. I'm going to show you what's been previously admitted into evidence as States 175. Do you recognize that? Yes, sir, I do. All right, and tell me what that is. This is the stairs that lead up into the door that go into the gun room on the main house. And was that where you were sighting in that tan blackout with the red dot optic? Yes, sir. That's not the one you just looked at? Correct. Yes, sir. And what's through that door right there? The gun room into the game room. And describe, you said y'all were using the railing to brace it. What, what do you mean by that? We were using this right side of the ra or this right side if you're coming down the stairs railing because we're both right-handed and you can brace up against it to make sure you're steady when you shoot at the target. Waters approaches Loving with a pile of photographs and hands them to him one at a time as he asks each question. I'm going to show you what's been marked as States 176, and do you generally recognize that image? Uh, yes, the bottom uh, of the brick below the um, stairs on the side door. And it, was that where y'all, in the general location of where y'all were sighting in that third blackout with the red dot optic? Yes, sir. In March or April of 2021? Yes, sir. All right, I'm going to show you what's been marked as 177 states. Do you recognize that? Yes, sir. And what area is that, please? That is the flower bed right next to the stairs going up. Is that in the same general area where y'all were sighting in that 
blackout with the, with the red dot optics? Yes, sir. States 179, do you recognize that? Uh, yeah, it's just the bottom of the bricks at uh, the stairs again. Same area where y'all are firing now? Yes, sir. States 180, do you recognize that? Uh, yes, the flower bed next to the stairs. Same general area where y'all were sighting in that other blackout? Yes, sir. It's not the one I showed you. Oh, right? yeah. No, no, sir. States 181, do you recognize that? Yes, sir. It's the bricks um, at the bottom of the stairs. Same same area. Same area? Yes, sir. States 183. Um, yep, again, it's the bottom of the stairs, same area that we were standing in. All right, I'm going to show you now what's been marked as States 184. Do you recognize that? Uh, yes, this is the uh, little gazebo type thing at the shooting range that you sit in to shoot the shoot your rifle or whatever you're shooting. After that time in March or April of 2021, which you remember because it was turkey season, correct? Correct. When was the uh, when was the next time that you saw that tan blackout that had the red dot? Um, I don't. I do not recall seeing it again after we used it that night. Next, Creighton Waters digs deeper with the witness regarding Paul Murdoch's shotgun preferences, the distinct camouflage pattern on his shotgun, and details of the suppressors for the 300 blackout rifle. The black blackout, um, did, was that gun frequently with Paul? Uh, yes, sir. If he, was, if he was at Moselle, a lot of the times we had it with us, yes, sir. All right, and where would you have it? Uh, in the back seat of the truck most of the time. If we were, you know, riding around late or coming home from somewhere late just to, you know, check something, if... Go look for a hog or something. Did uh, Paul have a shotgun that he favored? Uh, yeah, he had a Super Black Eagle Three Benelli um, shotgun. And can you describe it any further? What did it look like? How was it colored? Uh, it was camouflage and sort of like a cryptic, like bluish purple camouflage. Um, not real sure of the name of it, but it was uh, more of a distinctive color camouflage. I'm going to show you what's been admitted into evidence as States 89. You recognize that? I recognize it, yes. Okay, which gun is that? Uh, I'm not sure whose gun that is, but it was uh, used for turkey hunting. You recognize that as one of the guns that was in the gun room, Lizelle? Yes, sir. Right, now I'm going to show you what's been marked as states four into evidence. Let's see if you recognize this. Uh, yes, sir. It's the camouflage Benelli. All right. And which one is that? Uh, Paul shotgun. Okay. And how can you tell the difference between the two camo ones? How do you know this one's Paul's? Uh, it just has a distinctive camo pattern on it. They did have two of these shotguns that were the exact same. But this is the one you recognize as Paul's, correct? Yes, sir. The uh, 300 blackout round, uh, is it a fairly loud round when it goes off? I mean, yes. I mean, it's a, it's a gunshot, so it's pretty loud. It's not ex extremely louder than any other gun. Is it louder than a shotgun? It's probably a little bit louder than a shotgun, yes. Did you ever have any conversation with Paul about getting a suppressor for that 300 blackout? Yeah, I asked him why I didn't get one, um, and he said that, you know, when you put a suppressor on a, a gun like that, it, uh, it decreases your how far you can shoot as, and makes your accuracy go down. So you just the gun that we already had with the night vision was already not a very long-distance gun, um, so he didn't want to put a suppressor on it. Up at the uh, kennels, up at the shed area, was it common for firearms to be up there? You know, they were up there from time to time, but I don't think there were really any kept up there, no, sir. And with that, we bring to a close this episode of Jury Duty, the trial of Alex Murdoch. Please join us on our next installment as we conclude our look at the testimony of Paul Murdoch's friend, Will Loving. Also, check out the Crime Story podcast, Night Raid, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you would like to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page.
You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created and produced by Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced, written, and edited by yours truly, Chris Terracone. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty.